Welcome to episode episode four of the Rabbit Rundown. My name is Jacob, and as always, I'm joined by my by former South Dakota State Jackrabbit basketball manager and friend Cody Reed. Cody, how's it going? Pretty good. Just a fairly easy week this past week with uh, Jack's basketball, just it being the holidays and everything. So um, not a whole lot to talk about, but uh, excited to dive into everything. No, yeah, we've had a couple slow weeks. You know, STSU women, they had a couple games uh, a couple weeks ago, which we'll kind of get into today. Uh, but, you know, men haven't played for a couple weeks. So got some, you know, reviewing we can do on their season, uh, reviewing we can do for the women. Uh, we'll also kind of give out some predictions. We also have our first interview on the podcast with former men's basketball manager, Nathan Geese. He has some interesting stories, some interesting thoughts on former and past players uh, compared to kind of current guys. It's a really fun interview. and. I uh, hope you guys kind of enjoy that, but we will start on the women's side of the uh, of the Jackrabbits here because um, they've played more recently. You know, the women right now are seven and two in their non-conference schedule. Their non-conference is all wrapped up. They aren't going to be playing any more games here. Uh, they're seven and two. Like I said, they went three and overs ranked opponents. Um, and then they had a couple losses to the non-ranked opponents. So went four and two versus non-ranked. Um, Cody, what were your kind of thoughts on the women's team so far this season? Yeah, I think uh, honestly, it's probably about um, the best case scenario you could you could hope for in the non-conference. Um, I, I think expecting them to you know end up uh, with a perfect record through the non-conference probably wasn't something you could expect at the beginning of the season. But overall, they played really well. Um, you know, they beat a bunch of ranked opponents. They're in the top 25 coaches poll, at least. Um, everyone's playing well. Everyone's healthy. And, uh, you know, they dropped a couple games on the road, their first road swing of the year. But then their next road swing, they went 2-0. So, you know, any struggles they maybe did have, they kind of corrected. And uh, I think they're at a really good spot heading into the conference season. No, yeah, I was, um, I was surprised, you know, when they ranked the first time. I wasn't aware of it at the time, but. I kind of learned it after they were, weren't were ranked anymore. But that was the first time since like 2008 that they'd been ranked while the season was going on. Uh, most of, every other time they've come end of the season, it was ranked, but they've never been ranked since 2008 during the actual season. So, um, you know, kind of cool to see that they were there. And obviously, you know, they dropped a couple games at K-State and UNI. Uh, they kind of made up for that win with or that loss of the UNI win. Uh, they beat them most recently at home, uh, 74 to 63. And their other big, you know, non-conference win was against Montana State, who was ranked. That was a road uh, victory against a ranked opponent. So kind of got that. Or Missouri State. Missouri State. Missouri State, yeah. Missouri State. Played both. Yep. And then at Montana State was another win. Yep, you're right. Um, uh, And so, yeah. So, I mean, they got that road win against a ranked opponent. So they kind of got that off their back where, you know, they were maybe struggling on the road. Um, Got the, you know, the big non-conference win there. but overall, you know, just a good, uh, solid, you know, non-conference. Just looking at kind of the stats, Maya led the team in scoring eight with 18 points a game, almost 19. Um, I think she picked up three uh, Summit League Player of the Year award or of the week awards, excuse me. Uh, Peyton followed up with 12 points a game and Tylee with 10. That's kind of what you're going to be expecting from this team. It's kind of what we expected coming into the year was those three kind of carrying the team. I know Lindsay Thunick is leading the team in three-pointer uh, percentage, which it's always good to have that, you know, for the option, especially someone that's going to spread the court. Um, but again, kind of the same struggles we've heard with them is their lack of size. Um, hopefully that can get figured out in the 
the non-conference, what do you or in the regular season, you know, conference play here, Cody, what do you, what are your kind of your thoughts going into conference play here for them? Yeah. And just uh, a couple notes too, before uh, I dive into, you know, kind of what I'm thinking about the conference. Uh, I think uh, I went back and looked in all of their wins other than the Iowa state game, because Tylee didn't play that game. When Tylee was playing in a win, she averaged 13.2 points per game. And in the two losses the Jacks had, she only averaged three points a game. So I think that's a, a kind of good stat that shows, you know, when they can get that that third contributor after Maya and Peyton, um, you know, in the double digits, uh, they're they're in a lot better shape. Um, and then uh, I did say they were pretty healthy. I forgot to mention uh, Haley Greer has been out the past three games with a broken nose, probably coming back fairly soon, I would guess. Um, but she is a little banged up at the moment. And then the other thing was, um, I believe it's Re- Regan or Reagan Nesheim. Um, she's kind of come come on in the past three games for the Jacks and been a really good productive role player off the bench for them. Um, and she hadn't really played many minutes to, to start the year. So she's kind of taking over that, that sixth or seventh spot. Um, and it'll be good to see how she continues to develop. But looking into the conference, I, I think, the Jacks are kind of right where they want to be. They're in a position at the top of the conference. I think they're probably expected to, you know, win the conference and or be right there with the Coyotes from USD. Um, so I think they're in a good spot. And obviously it's a little bit different conference scheduling this year with the back-to-back Friday-Saturday games. Um, but I think overall you can expect them to, to be competing right at the top and, and try and win the conference. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be an interesting season. I think, you know, for them to win the the conference outright, they're going to need Maya to play like a conference uh, first team player, uh, potentially player of the year, which right now you kind of think she's in the driver's seat with that, with the three player of the weeks. Uh, you know, a lot changes once the regular season starts and, you know, you're going against Summit League teams. But when you're kind of leading the conference with three Summit League player of the weeks, it's kind of hard not to uh, – think she's probably either the front runner or right there in the mix for it. Um, but yeah, for her, it's, the Jacks are going to go through her. You kind of know that with them already. It's just going to come down to, can they get, like you said, Tylee and Peyton, can they, can they step up and be that number two and three option? Can Lindsay keep shooting the three point uh, three pointer at, you know, right now she's at a 50% for the season, 12 of 24, which is ridiculous. Uh, you don't expect that number to be that high, but you know, if it does awesome. I would say is up there. That's perfect. Um, but the, there's definitely a lot more depth in the conference this year as far as quality teams. You know, historically, it's been SDSU uh, and Western Illinois. And then, you know, Western's kind of tailed off a little bit and USD's kind of filled their role, if not, you know, been better than what, you know, Western was at certain points. Um, but now we have, you know, SDSU and USD are the two favorites. Uh, USD, I think, was the coach's preseason favorite to win, uh, which is no surprise. They've been pretty good the last few years. But North Dakota State has really picked up their program this year. Um, I believe UND's been playing pretty well. Uh, from what I, you know, I've been seeing, I haven't paid attention too much to it uh, with everything going on. But uh, I know I've heard UND's had a better season than kind of expected. And NDSU took a huge leap this year. Um, so kind of going into the season, we're – what are your expectations record-wise? What are you thinking with this weird schedule? Do you um, – I'm not expecting an undefeated season, but is it, uh, you know, 14-2? and two? 
unrealistic 13 and three what's kind of your your kind of predictions going into uh you know this non-conference or for the conference season for the women here um if i had to make a prediction just kind of gut feel i'm gonna say 13 and three and they share the conference regular season title with usd um I, i'm guessing they probably drop one of the games against usd even though they do get to play um the coyotes at home i believe um, but just with how good those two teams are, I, I'm guessing they they drop one of those. And then, you know, we got to go play at NDSU, who's improved from mm-hmm. from recent seasons, and play them back to back two nights in a row. So you may be looking at a game there. And then probably, you know, just with any conference season, there's always that kind of that that one game that, you know, just get in foul trouble or someone gets injured or you you don't show up, and so um, you know throw another loss like that in there and sitting 13 and three and that that's what I'm kind of predicting and and you know hoping happens um but what are your thoughts no I'm you know when you were kind of saying 13 and three I'm I'm kind of leaning towards like a 14 and two uh split with SDSU or USD and NDSU I think historically um you know AJ's had the team kind of rolling throughout the regular season the back-to-back is going to be interesting I guess what are your um, thoughts on that? I'll kind of ask you that. Is it more of a coaching thing or a player thing with the back-to-backs? Um, do you think one team will gain an advantage playing the second day? Is, is, is the advantage of being the better team go out the window playing back-to-back? Or since you're both tired, does, you know, being the better team help you in that second game? Just because, you you know, you guys, you have the athletes, you have the, the players. Well, does that help you game two? Or is it more about the coaching and the X's and O's of it all? Um, I think it ultimately comes down to the players. I think when the talent's there um, and you have players playing well together, I think that's, you know, who ultimately decides most most games at, at this level. Um, but I do think the Jacks, you know, that's not to say there's no contribution from AJ at all. I mean, he's obviously – premier coach in the conference and you know there's going to be some times that he definitely helps um you know put the players in the right position to to make plays and you know controls the bench substitutions really well maybe on you know the second night of a back-to-back or implements a wrinkle in the second night against uh the you know whoever they're playing uh that you know maybe forces some turnovers gets them some easy buckets but I think it more just comes down to the talent you have on your team and how well, you know, they're playing at that, at that given time. Okay. And um, like I kind of was going with my prediction there. I was, I was leaning towards 14 and two, but now after thinking about it, that's probably a little bit too bold, uh, especially with everything going on. I think I'm going to go back down to about 12 and four. If all 16 games get played, I think, you know, with COVID and back-to-back injuries can ca- kind of pile up for that second game. So I think the smarter choice, I'm not going to go super bold. I don't think that, <laughs> I'm not going to do it just for quick. Uh, I'm going to go with the 12 and four. I think that's, you know, you're more realistic with injuries back to back. Kind of talked myself out of being uh, way up there. And then that would obviously probably make them the second seed in the conference um, and letting USD winning it. But I think that 14 and two comes back into play if Maya Sellen keeps playing at the pace she is right now and stays healthy and, you know, the Jacks, if they avoid the big COVID bug, um, I really don't know how you avoid it as a team is because you, you know, you can only control your own team. Um, it's, it's not saying like, 
you know, if they go up to NDSU and a couple of girls on the NDSU team had tested negative, well, uh, you know, a couple of days later when they're actually playing or whatever, they, they actually test positive. Like there's not much you can do with that. Uh, you can't control that another team gets it and stuff like that. And um, maybe a couple, only a couple of players on your team get it. If, you know, my, my entirely get it. Um, Jacks probably don't win a whole lot of games without those two playing or um, so I think I'm going down to 12 and four. I'm kind of backing off my initial <laughs> super bold prediction uh, thoughts there. But And yeah, just a comment too, is I'm not entirely sure what the summit league protocols are on like what their frequency is for testing. And then also like, you know, if a player does test positive, is the team completely on pause? Are they even going to play a game with someone on their team that's been positive? Um, so I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure, hopefully that that scenario never comes up for any of the teams in the summit league, but you know, it's a realistic possibility and we'll have know, to see how the summit league handles that. I know the Omaha women's team is on hold right now with COVID as well as their hockey team, but their men's team avoided it somehow. So maybe the women's, maybe the women's basketball team, and the hockey team hang out and the men's basketball team doesn't hang out with them or <laughs> I don't know how those two programs get it. And one of them avoids it, but um, so yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. And, um, it also, it's going to be interesting, you know, with road games, cause I saw this week on Twitter that summit league stance on fans is every team gets to choose, you know, their own policy. They don't want to make a blanket statement for, you know, South Dakota schools that are the you know, SDSU has shown that they're bringing fans to the games already. Whereas Western Illinois probably isn't allowed to, um, just because of politics and things like that. So, um, uh, so that'll be at least an advantage for the, the Jacks is they will have more than likely have fans because they've shown already this year that they they want fans um, in the stadium. They I know that watching some of the games online, they've had fans for their home games. So that'll be an advantage and something to look forward to with road games as well because you never know what other you know other teams will have for fans and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Um... And, you know, it's not like the Jacks are going to have a ton of people there, but, you know, they've been loud uh, on the radio broadcasts and stuff that I've listened to when uh, the Jacks have had home games. So, yeah, you, you take, you know, every advantage you can get. Um, and so – and it adds a level of excitement to the games too. So uh, – but it will be interesting to see what the other schools are doing. What's more of a home court advantage, do you think? A lot of fans or the altitude in Denver? I think fans, I, I, I think generally the altitude thing gets overblown by media and broadcasts. Um, like these are, these are division one level athletes. They're in the best shapes of their lives. Maybe on a weird season like this, where you're playing back-to-back -back nights at altitude that you're not used to uh, comes into play, but we saw uh, the women's team went and played out at Montana state. It's not quite as high as Denver. Denver's 5,200. Um, Montana State and Bozeman's at 4,300. So uh, they handled it there. I think it's kind of not an issue to me. Okay. That was just something I kind of thought on the top of my head. I'm like, I wonder what, what Cody thinks about that. Because that's just, a, you know, an interesting thing with, you know, we were talking right before we started recording. Uh, we kind of get into the men's now is, uh, you know, the men will play both their road games at Denver opposed to having one and one uh, with the new format of the schedule. But, uh, no, going into the men's uh, team here, you know, they uh, – they had an interesting non-conference schedule. They went five and three uh, with a couple big wins at Bradley and Iowa State. Um, 
you know a little you know their kind of standings with the conference a little bit more because they played three quote-unquote non-conference games against conference opponents uh ndsu und and usd um again we didn't see doug wilson in those games but the jacks you know were led by uh sophomore noah friedel and sophomore baylor shireman uh with 17 and a half points a game for noah 14 and a half for baylor uh Doug, in his five games, he played, scored 14 points a game. And then Alex Arians was the fourth thing, he scored 12 points a game, um, followed by David Winget and Matt Detlinger. Um, Cody, what were your thoughts, you know, so far on the non-conference schedule that I guess technically isn't over yet for the men, uh, for the men's side? Yeah, I think um, overall, I think it's um, kind of a, a very good non-conference um, slate that that the Jacks ended up with you know they got some quality wins on the road um you know they won a bye game at Iowa State uh they got good experience with the you know being invited to participate in the crossover classic that wasn't you know on the schedule way back when they made the schedules for this season um but they got to play you know some high quality opponents and then they also got to look at some of the conference um teams I think you know the USD game the St. Mary's game didn't play as well, but they also got some big wins. Um, and then, like you said, they do have uh, one more non-conference opportunity. It's kind of like a tune-up game just because they've been off for so long. So January 4th, I believe, they're hosting uh, Mount Marty at Frost Arena. So that'll be good because they haven't had a home game yet, too. So mm-hmm. just get them the feel of what, you know, Frost is going to be like with with limited fans and just, you know, back in the confines of that arena and then, just because they've been off for so long too. It'll be good to have a tune-up before conference in Western Illinois hits. Oh yeah. And you know, Western will kind of get into that next week a little bit more with, with that matchup and their whole new team, but you definitely don't want to go into conference, you know, the conference schedule with, you know, two, three weeks off. Um, and that's what the plan was. Cause they kind of drew the short straw with the initial bye week week one. Um, that's kind of unfortunate, but you know, it's whatever. It, I don't know. Obviously, we don't know what kind of scheduling attempts they made. You know, they could have reached out to some better schools, bigger schools. But I think a lot of the players probably enjoyed their time at home uh, for the holidays. But we got to go home for a little bit. Now they're get, you know, get back to the team, get back in shape, get going. And then, like you said, kind of a tune-up game without Marty. Um, but yeah, so um, kind of looking at the team as a whole, uh, Matt Detlinger probably the one one of the big topics is. You know, he hasn't looked the same this year as he did last year. Uh, do you think for the Jacks to win the conference, he needs to get back up to where he was last season? Or do you think, you know, with with Baylor uh, and Noah kind of leading the way and honestly Doug kind of at times being the third wheel in it, do you think that's the big three that that's all they need to, you know, win the conference? Or do you think they need Matt to go from averaging six to maybe averaging 10 a game? Uh, I think it's kind of a two-part question because I think the the first part is – what is the health status of Doug Wilson going forward throughout the season? Because I think, um, you know, his injury, the foot injury, uh, we haven't heard a ton about. It's the same one I believe he had last year, which to my knowledge, it was more of a pain management injury rather than like, I don't think, I think it's kind of a stress fracture or something within the foot where he can't really hurt it too much worse, but it obviously causes him extreme pain at times and he isn't able to, you know, perform when, when that's happening. So I think the first part is what is his status? 
Mm-hmm. I think if he's out, you definitely have to have Matt step up because one, you're already thin in the post with Doug out. And then, you know, two, you just have to have some more scoring. You got to find 14 points, you know, per game somewhere. And Matt's probably going to be a big chunk of that. But if Doug, you know, we're hoping he's back um, for most of the, the conference season. I think with him back, you still want to see a little bit more out of Matt. Um, I don't think he necessarily has to return in the box score to where he was last year, but I think um, his impact on the game needs to return to that point. So maybe it's, he's, you know, just playing better defense instead of scoring as much or getting on the boards or, you know, limiting his turnovers and his post touches or something, but you want to make sure his impact on the game gets back to where he was last year and his confidence gets back to where he was last year, even if it's not how many points he's scoring per game. And, you know, defensively, I think that's something that you don't really talk about um, a whole lot, his impact. I, I do think he has one of the – maybe I think Doug has the biggest defensive impact for the team. Like when he's on the court, he's kind of the best defender. But but Matt does have 10 blocks. You know, he's averaging at least a little over a block a game, uh, 10 blocks in a game. So defensively, you know, he's been there. It's just offensively you kind of want him – you want to see him step up a little bit more. But I do think, um, you know, with the uh, – with Baylor kind of stepping into a whole new role this year as being that you know, like two guard, three guard. Um, but he, we can, uh, you know, shoot uh, right now. He's shooting up there with Noah, he's one of the better shooters on the team. I, I do think, yeah, you don't need to see his points come in the, uh, uh, the box score, but we'll be interesting to see if they start going through him a little bit more early on in games. Um, just moving forward. And then Luke Apple, uh, will be interesting to see, you know, his impact coming off the bench. Uh, if he can, you know, keep the momentum going from how uh, it kind of ended there with the Dakota Showcase, because you know that's, we saw him taking steps forward in that tournament. So it'd be interesting to see if he, you know, takes that next step and really becomes that sixth man they were really hoping he would be. Yeah, it's a little unfortunate timing that, you know, as soon as he gets rolling, you got to go on break for three weeks because you know he did have a little bit of struggles and then wasn't playing in a few games, and then once he did get rolling he's, you know, three weeks out, you kind of lose that momentum, you lose your rhythm. So, you know, hopefully he, he can be a solid contributor and be a consistent contributor um, mm-hmm. throughout the conference season. But there, there'll probably be a little ups and downs just, you know, as his first year. But you hope that, you know, he finds that consistency that he showed he could have in the Dakota Showcase. Yeah, overall, I don't think uh, there's going to be a chemistry issue for the whole team as a whole. I mean, five six of the main guys that play all played together last year. But I think these, you know, this three weeks off, if it hurts anybody, it's, you know, it hurts easily in Apple more than anything. Uh, you know, Matt Mims, he's, he's used to playing with these guys. David Winchett's used to, used to playing with these guys. Detlinger, they all played together last year. Uh, but, you know, those two, kind of the main two guys coming off the bench this year, um, or two of the three guys coming off the bench, uh, they need to get that chemistry with the team still. So I think those, these, you know, two, three weeks off kind of hurts them more than anything. I just, you know, lack of building chemistry going into the conference play. And to another point is we don't know what's going on internally at practice either. Like we're, what we can base it off is games and your chemistry is not built solely in games. It's probably more so built in your practice and mm-hmm. just being around your teammates and stuff. So, you know, I'm sure there's, you know, there's still, they took a little bit of break and time off, I'm sure for the holidays, but they've still been practicing. They've still been, working out they still have been probably you know i'm sure some of them live together and have been hanging out together um so 
potentially the chemistry is even better when we start the conference season, uh, just because they've had a lot of time off outside of the basketball arena where they can spend time with each other. No, you're You're probably right there. Um, We got to do with predictions with the, you know, men's or the women's team there. What are some of your predictions for the men's team? You know, what's their record? And um, is Noah right now in the driver's seat for player of the year? Is it still Doug's award to lose? What's your kind of thoughts on uh, that award and what's kind of coming up for the uh, Jacks of the conference season? Yeah. um, Record wise, if I have to put a number on it, I'm saying Jacks finish 12 and four. Uh, I think you probably drop one of the games at Omaha or, you know, that's one you can kind of pencil in Um, probably one of the games at NDSU. Um, One of the games at Oral Roberts, because they got to play all three of those teams on the road. Um, And then, you know, maybe a USD uh, or just kind of a letdown game or, or at Denver second night in altitude, even though I don't, think that has as much of an effect but so I'm saying 12 and 4 for them um, which that'll probably put them maybe first or second place it kind of depends on how the rest of the season shakes out Um, and then for player of the year uh, I I don't I feel like I can't even put a you know any just because Imude's played so well Robracha's played so well um, I haven't paid too much attention to Oral Robertson like what Obinor or one of their other guards have played um and the award is based on the conference season only mm-hmm. so um not that they they can't give some insight into how you know people have played uh, up to this point but you know someone maybe goes off in conference season so I think Friedel's probably in a little bit better spot than Doug just with Doug's potential health to get that award but uh, it's hard to say at this point no, yeah, I'm um, going to kind of switch roles with you here. I went women 12 and 4, and you went men or women 13 and 3. I'm going to go men 13 and 3. Uh, thinking, you know, you mentioned a couple of them. I think NDSU, USD probably split those. Um, I think their third loss comes at Oral Roberts. I think Oral Roberts has a couple, you know, studs down there uh, that will give us some troubles. Uh, I can't – the name's slipping me here, but, you know, he's had a couple big games for him this year. So I think, you know, that will be kind of – and then, like you said, it's a road game. So I think, you know, 13 and 3 – uh, that probably puts them in the driver's seat for the one seed. Really, with this, you want to be the one or the two seed um, because, you know, that three through eight this year, or it's probably going to be three through six are going to be pretty random, three through seven. I think eight this year is going to be, you know, it's going to be Denver and Kansas City fighting for that last spot. Kansas City's top player just, you know, yesterday just opted out of the season and is in the transfer portal. Um, so that's kind of a big shot to them. Uh, so, you know, I think with them in Denver, it's going to be, you know, fighting for, um, for, you know, who makes the tournament, who doesn't, which could be a big blow for coach, uh, Billups down at Denver. If he, you know, he's fighting for the eight seed again, he just hasn't gotten that program going, but, um, I think 13 and three that, you know, like I said, that puts him in the driver's seat for the one seed. And then I think Doug probably wins the award again. Just because I think, you know, with him, once conference play starts, there aren't many teams with a four like him. Um, you know, a lot of teams, they have a good five or a good post, but there's not a lot of teams that have a four that's going to be, you know, six, eight, six, nine, that's athletic. You know, you're going to have issues with Stanley Moody probably guards him. 
for USD, but do they want him on him for foul trouble reasons? Um, so I think he, I think he really feasts on, you know, the fours and the fives of the summit league, because I think that's where, you know, his athletic ability um, comes into play. I think, and especially if, you know, they do start throwing their best defender, their five on him um, or the best post defender or like their five, I think that's where it opens up for Matt then a little bit too, to kind of show his, you know, get him back into form. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Just uh, to interject here, you forget how, how well Doug dominated his mm-hmm. matchups in the summer league last year. Um, and we've been too, we've said all year that the Jacks have played a lot of size this yep. year, other than the, the Dakota showcase. So um, you probably look for Matt and Doug's numbers to go up once conference season hits. Yeah. It's a, uh, the summer league, I mean, there's not a whole lot of college basketball teams with a ton of height. It seems like certain teams accumulate a ton of height, like Purdue always has a seven foot center um that can score you know 15 plus a game and uh Gonzaga always has a few giants on their team so um so yeah I don't know if the summit league if you're expecting you know a a talented four uh to be kind of what they faced you know throughout this season and the Jacks you know they've shown they can win games without Doug this year uh beating NDSU who is picked to be second I think right now in my power rankings I have them as a third team behind Oral Roberts I think Oral's going to be the team to, you know, really watch this year. That's going to give the Jacks trouble because I think they're going to be able to score with SDSU. It's just whether or not they can defend SDSU. Um, so I think SDSU still has the best offense in the league. Um, and if their defense shows up, I think that's going to cause a lot of issues for teams, especially when Doug's healthy. I think that defense for SDSU is, is really good and it really gives a lot of teams fits because there's not a lot of teams that have a versatile four, kind of like I was talking on the offensive end, but Doug can really guard anybody on the court and be a rim protector for the Jacks. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's probably the biggest question mark, you know, for them is what, you know, what is his health? Because uh, as you know, we're talking a lot about him and he just does so many things for him. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hopefully he's, he's ready to go. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you kind of expect, especially with the way they've played this year, the guards have kind of been a guard-dominant team. But I think, you know, once you're getting back-to-back, it really – the second game, probably more than anything, you kind of slow down a little bit, and that's probably the games where Doug will be needed. It'll be interesting to watch his minutes. If this is a – you know, he played a ton of minutes early on in the season, and maybe that's what caused the flare-up with his foot. So maybe you'll see some, you know, more rest time for him in these games, which would probably hurt his chances at the award. But, you know, if they have some games in hand, he's not going to be playing – probably deep into games this year. It'll be interesting to watch the bench, how the bench uh, evolves throughout the year. Wouldn't be surprised if we see, you know, Cooper, uh, Corneman, and uh, well, I'm going to butcher his last name here. Uh, Mufum. Mufum. Um, yeah. Wouldn't be surprised to see them come in, you know, uh, kind of early in some uh, second halves this year, just because with, you know, the back-to-back games, if, you have, if you're up by 20 with 10 minutes left, why not, you know, get Charlie, Matt, uh, Cooper and Will in there for some good minutes against some quality opponents, but uh, you probably won't start to sit your guys for the last 10 minutes, but it'll be good to get, you know, them out, get the young guys in a little bit more, uh, give the big guys some breaks and then go from there. So it'll be interesting to watch this bench, the bench for this team evolve throughout um, this conference season. Yeah. And that's a, you know, uh, I think that just comes down to coaching too, is, you know, what, perspective they take they're going to know their players and with working with the athletic trainer too they're going to know 
what their kind of plan of attack is in those situations. Um, and first you got to get to those situations, you know, you got to play well in the first half and build your lead in the second half and hopefully have the opportunity to do that. But in the summer league, you know, things can happen. Teams can be better than we expect, especially with, you know, not seeing a ton in non-conference um, out of the other teams in the summit. So uh, who knows if the Jacks will even have the opportunity to, to do that. We hope so, but. No, yeah. And, uh, just, you know, what I'm, I'm in a couple group chats with a bunch of the guys that write for reach of the summit with me here. Um, and it really is a really balanced league. Um, you know, everyone kind of expects SDSU to run away with it. Um, I think there's 13 guys in that, uh, in this group chat. We do kind of a power rankings every week. And right now SDSU is getting all the first place votes. So, um, SDSU, I know, is a heavy favorite, but I know NDSU and Oral Roberts are right behind them. Uh, and they're going to be fighting for that 2-3. And I think between USD, UND, um, Western, I think it's going to surprise a lot of people that you just don't know anything about Western this year because they're all new guys. I think with those three and some other teams, you know, it's going to be a fight this year. There's definitely not going to be any give me games um, just because everyone's going to be fighting for that, you know, the playoffs to make the, make the conference championship. And everyone will kind of get to know each other a little bit more when you're playing back to back. The second games are going to, you know, you're not going to surprise anybody game two. It's going to be, you're not going to really adapt your, you're not going to see like last year where, if, you know, SDC would play Fort Wayne in week one. And then the last game of the season was Fort Wayne. Those are completely different basketball teams. This year, you're going to see the same team back to back nights more than likely. You're not going to see a whole strategic change unless there's like an injury or something. So it'll be interesting to watch how those back to back games go. Yeah, and then on the flip side of that, too, so SDSU is going to play Western two times January 8th and 9th. And then, you know, if they're their first-round matchup in the Summer League tournament, it could be mm -hmm. two months later when they play. And like you said, at that point, they're completely different teams. Well, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch, uh, especially, like, see how teams evolve and um, just compete all season. Well, that being said, uh, kind of like we hinted at early on, we have our first – you know, interview uh, of the podcast. Uh, it's with former men's basketball manager, Nathan Geese. Uh, Cody was around when he was around, but we will get into that interview uh, right now. Today, we welcome on a very special guest. This guest served as a student manager on the SDSU men's basketball team from 2011 to 2016. In his time with the Jackrabbits, the Jacks won three summit league regular season and tournament titles and went to the NCAA tournament three times. He's the legend known as Goose to anyone in and around the SDSU <laughs> men's basketball program and the current sports editor for the Plainview Herald in Plainview, Texas. So welcome on Nathan Geese. Nathan, how's it going? Uh, it's going good. That, that's a beautiful intro. I, I don't think I deserve all that, but you know, I'll take it. Yeah, and so uh, before we dive into anything too basketball related, I have a, a, a personal question for myself. So we were student managers together for two years, um, and I knew Was you it only exclusively. Two? Yeah, only two. Okay. And I knew you exclusively as Goose. I don't think okay. I've ever actually called you Nathan. So um, <laughs> I don't actually know the backstory behind the nickname. So how did you get that nickname, and do you still respond to it today? Oh, God. Um, there's a long history of nicknames. Uh, through my life, I've had 17 different nicknames, mostly different variations of my last name, which is geese, like the birds. So people just call me goose. I've been 
goose, big bird, uh, some random ones that friends from high school still call me. I can't remember who first did it. I want to say it might have been Nagy that actually called me goose first. And that's just kind of what stuck. Either Nagy or Clink. I want to say it was one of those two. That's just kind of how it stuck. All right. Yeah. Uh, it was crazy because I was thinking back when I was getting ready for this and I just could not remember <laughs> how that happened. Um, and yes, I yeah, do still so, answer to goose. That's okay. It just kind of. Um, and yeah, so how did you first get involved as a student manager when you came to SDSU? And then how did that position change um, over all the years you were in the program? Uh, well, first, I had wanted nothing to do with basketball in college because I love basketball. It's been my thing. I was a student manager for my high school team all four years. But when I went to college, I just decided, you know, I didn't really think about that opportunity. I just didn't really want to. I wanted to focus on schoolwork and other jobs. But then uh, one day, I think it was in September of my freshman year, or first year, I guess, uh, Nick Goff, who was the GA at the time, who's now an assistant with Wright State, uh, sent out like a mass student email saying, hey, we're looking for student manager help. And I had experience. I was very qualified for it. So, like, all right, let's let's give it a shot. They had me doing uh, running camera practices. And first I thought I was only going to help them out for the preseason practices, just filming the practice, that kind of thing, and then just be done because I'd they just needed help for that time. But then, shockingly, I fell in love with the whole thing and just stuck around. And over time, I was the camera guy for two years. And after that, I was kind of the lead manager for having more seniority and whatnot. So I was on the floor taking over different responsibilities. It, it very much evolved over time. Uh, went just from the camera guy to – I'm, Cody, I'm sure you know, you you ran camera too, but even if you're just the camera guy, you're still doing everything at practice, rebounding, getting stuff together. It's pretty much what it was, just kind of always on call and helping out wherever you're needed. So like Cody mentioned right away, uh, you were there the first year you guys made the, they made the tournament, and then you were there mm-hmm. for, for two other times. What was it like the first time when you were there when you guys you know made the tournament, got that announcement? Obviously, you know, winning the tournament, you know you're making it. What was it like, the difference between time one and then the third time you went there? Were expectations going into the tournament different? How was that uh, kind of what was the expectations for uh, how did those change throughout the time uh, you were there? Yeah, the first year, uh, first year we made it, we, we kind of had an idea that we could win the Summit League tournament. But I think we were either the two or three seed. We were kind of low. But then there were upsets throughout the top of the bracket in the first couple of rounds. So then once we got to the championship game, it was like, oh, well, we're playing Western Illinois. We beat them both times there. Okay, we can actually do this. So me and a couple of buddies, I'm from Wyndham, Minnesota, which was two hours from Brookings, so an hour from Sioux Falls or so. We got tickets, crammed in the student section, and I don't know if you guys remember, but it was intense back and forth. Mm-hmm both teams just trying to get through and once I remember this when Braden stripped that ball from I want to say it was from Terrell Parks came up with a steal and he's just holding it he's not giving it up or anything and everybody's looking around like wait it's over 
<laughs> we just start storming the court. But it was fun because I was a manager too. So I'm going up to all the players like, oh my God, Goose is here. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that was fun. But then, then after that, it's pressure after that because then you've done it and that was the expectation of you. That was what it was the second time too when we played NDSU and you kind of controlled that game for the most part. It was, it wasn't a blow up by any means, but the pressure of, okay, we know NDSU is good. And they proved that the next year, obviously, but this should be us there. And then we did it. It was just kind of a relief. And then, you know, the year we lost the NDSU in the championship, that was so deflating because you know, you're losing NDSU, your rival. They, they played fine, but we did not play well at all. It was just kind of that thing. And that was actually the only conference tournament I was on the sidelines for. I, otherwise, I was up doing camera for the Summit League or my final year I was working for the Collegian, so I was on media row that year. That sucked. I, what I remember from that is that NDSU is on their end of the court completely celebrating and there's one NDSU fan that cuts across the court in front of our bench and just darts past all of us like really (laughs) come (laughs) within the last year I I hate talking about my last year that was the cardiac jacks year and oh I had I was working for the collegian I wasn't so I had to be neutral I had to be objective observer but the oral roberts game we got down like 15 or 20 in the first half i couldn't even be on the court i went to the back just couldn't even look at it (laughs) then they make the comeback i'm like okay okay we survived well then they did it again against denver i did the exact same thing couldn't be there anymore went to the back but then the end the ndsu game was just i just did it like Okay, so yeah, it was it, the expectations. The thing I think that changes more because once you do it once, and it's we need to do it again, and we can do it again. Yeah, and kind of going off that, um, like obviously, like you said, throughout your time at SSU, the team evolved a lot with mm-hmm. you know going to the NCAA tournament for the first time in program history to like you know becoming the perennial powerhouse in the Summit League. Right. Um, is there anything you noticed other than like just the expectations that changed in the program during that like evolution, like scheduling wise, maybe recruiting wise, or just how the coaching staff approached things? Like, was there anything that changed, you know, going from kind of the underdog to the top dog? Not really from an internal aspect. All that pretty much kind of stayed the same. I mean, there were a couple different. Uh, assistant coaches changes GA changes brought in uh, Joe Krabenhoff and Clint Sargent towards the end there but that that all pretty much stayed the same we were kind of the same other than we did try to schedule a lot harder we tried to get those big teams to start playing us and a lot of them just wouldn't because that's and I'm seeing it from the same. I cover Texas Tech now down here. I see it. They don't like playing the good mid-majors anymore because it does nothing for them. They win. Okay, good. But you're supposed to win those games. If you lose, then that looks really bad on you. And that's where a lot of mid-majors struggle. And that's where we really struggled 
trying to find teams to play us. And then I remember this specifically, the last year I was there, we were in the Cancun Challenge, and there were two different brackets for it. But in the main bracket, it's the four teams that have the money draw, the Maryland, Iowa, I can't remember who else was in it. And then we're playing like George Mason. I can't remember who was actually in it, but, and we, we won all those games. We won all the mainland games against like Illinois state and Texas tech. And we should have played Maryland in that tournament championship, but that's just not how it works. And we wound up playing them in the NCAA tournament. So getting teams that actually want to play you is a struggle for the good teams. Yeah. Would you say, um, I'm just kind of off the top of my head. So I'm trying to think of some of the non-conference wins uh, you were a part of when you were there. Would you say the, the Washington game or the New Mexico game? What was the biggest program win kind of non-conference wise when you were there? Oh, um, Washington was a good one, but Washington was also kind of down that year. So it didn't amount to a ton, but it was a really good win. New Mexico beating a nationally ranked team that puts you on the map like instantly. Oh, they're doing this. And that's when New Mexico was on their string of, was it four straight sweet 16s or whatever run they were on. So that was a really, really good win. To me though, the one that always sticks out, destroying, I mean, absolutely destroying Minnesota in Williams arena. I mean, their fans didn't know how to take it. <laughs> it, that was it, but that was so weird because USD had beat them too, like a couple of days before we played them. So we're like, oh, okay, well, it's not that big of a deal. But USD had to survive. We the the Gophers weren't even in that game. Like it was just a pure domination. That was so much fun, and I was there for that one, so that helps too. But yeah, that I, was a lot of fun. We road trip to that game, and I just remember yeah. Williams Arena being. Um, you know, quieter than most games at Frost. Yeah. It was dead. Oh, it was the, that is the best feeling when you can go on the road and you just completely silence their fans. Like, what the heck is this? That is, that was the absolute best. That was, that's my favorite. All right. So when you were there, obviously you were there for the Nate Walters era and then Mm -hmm. you were there for the redshirt freshman year of uh, Mike Dom. Um, is there a difference? Did you notice a difference, especially that last year with Dom and like uh, that redshirt freshman year? Where, did you see a change in him um, and kind of being able to take that next step to kind of put himself up there with the Nate Walters uh, of the program? Um, and then what was it like being around Nate? You know, every day there's always the stories like he'd go with his roommates to, to shoot around after practice every night or before bed, all that kind of stuff. What was it like being around a program with him? And could you see a little bit of Dom uh, you know, starting to get to that level, uh, that redshirt freshman year, what was it like being around him? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll start with Nate. Uh, I was there his last two years, so it's kind of a funny story. I'll try not to take too much time, but I saw Nate, we're both from Minnesota, I saw him play in the state tournament against Hopkins, which is a powerhouse program. And I watched it on TV, and he just destroyed Hopkins. They ran a 3-1-1 defense, daring Nate to do anything but shoot. They couldn't stop him. That Hopkins team had five D1 players on it, and he just kept cutting through them. 
and I had forgotten about him by the time we joined up but then it's like oh Nate Walters yeah yeah I saw you so that was kind of our connection a little bit the thing about Nate just so quiet and like I think he he didn't hate the attention he got but he wasn't like yeah bring it on like he was the guy that his last year tried to get all online classes just so he didn't have to go on campus just because to deal with all that stuff but yeah that that was Nate I think that's still kind of how he is, just kind of a quiet, humble guy, puts in the work, does his thing. Personality-wise, Mike is nothing like Nate. <laughs> he's a very outgoing guy. And not a, obviously not in a bad way, just he's just more personable, more uh, open with other people. But what you hinted at is his growth. I mean, Cody can attest to this. Yeah, he made – some of the biggest strides you can see from a red shirt to a red shirt freshman year. Number one, he was overweight. And I'm not one to talk about somebody's weight, but he was a chubby kid. He was six, seven. He had his baby fat on him. The thing that helped him was that he was going against Cody Larson in the paint every day at practice that freshman year. And he was getting killed. He couldn't hang in. You could see it. He was frustrated. He was, he was doing extra practices to get his work in while being a freshman. Uh, and he just couldn't handle it. But then he came back his retro freshman year and he transformed his body. He transformed his body every single year. Like his body looked <laughs> different every year. That was the thing that amazed yeah. me. But, and, and you could see right away, like, he was hitting his outside shots, but he wasn't afraid to get inside. That was the big thing he needed from him because he obviously he showed that throughout his career. Three-point shooter can get a shot off over anybody, whatever. But we needed an inside guy. And once he started doing that, that's when we knew, okay, this kid's got something. But the thing I saw, this is an innocuous thing that I saw during one game at home. He's taking the guy to the low post. Everybody clears out to let him operate. Taking the guy to the low post. Just can't get anywhere. So he decides to dribble out to the three-point line, turns, faces, squares, shoots it, drills a three. Just this small play, I'm like, okay, if he's making that play and that decision, he's going somewhere. That was a lot of fun. Were you still there then when he was coming off the bench that year he won sixth man? Um, yeah, that was that was my last year there, yeah. So what was it like? Obviously, at that point, everyone kind of knew he was the guy um, above Ian, who was starting at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, what was it like with him coming off the bench? Still, was was there issues there? Was there anything like that where you know, like people knew, like, hey, this was this is the guy for SDSU. Like, this is the guy when they're in trouble, they kind of go to him. Um, but he's still coming off the bench. Was there any? Did you notice anything there? Was there any chemistry issues, or was it basically like this is how the team's going and? Uh, it's no problems there. Uh, I didn't see any problem because Ian was kind of the elder guy. He was a bigger body. He could shoot the three, two. But the problem with Ian, he'll admit this too. He was just so slow. He couldn't move much. Uh, so what it really did was it provided two big bodies that could go on the court at any given time. And having a guy that can put up big points off the bench in college ball, awesome. You see it with NBA players all the time. They're putting starter-level guys on the bench. That's pretty much what we did with Mike. There wasn't a whole lot of 
well, do we start Mike in, over Ian? Because it, that's just how it worked. And with Ian, it kind of allowed the perimeter-oriented other four to kind of work their magic and then work Dom into the flow of the game. Yeah, I just remember, you know, going back to what you said about him battling Cody Larson. I mm-hmm. kind of thought his redshirt year, he was, you know, maybe could develop into a Jordan Dykstra type player, you know, big guy that could hit the mm-hmm. outside shot, but was kind of the, the second guy, you know, wasn't as much of a playmaker. And then, yeah, when he came back his redshirt freshman year, he just completely transformed and, you know, was the guy that, that wanted the ball and, and wanted the big moment. So I think that yep. was one transit transition that I noticed um, and kind of switching gears a little bit. So um, there's kind of no fans or limited fans in a lot of places this year, uh, which uh, I've definitely missed the energy that college basketball fans bring mm-hmm. to the games. Uh, it's just kind of weird watching them off the top of your head. Do you have a certain moment or a certain game you can remember where frost arena was like at the loudest you'd ever heard it? It wasn't a men's game. It was the women's game against Notre Dame. Uh, I was I was freelance to the Argus leader for that one, but that place was nuts. I mean, it was the loudest I've ever heard, and that includes all NDSU USD games, and those things get loud. But this was a lot of times when the the women brought in a lot of really good non-conference opponents, especially at home which just does not happen with the men's side. Like the men are never going to bring in a big 10 team to Frost Arena. That's just never going to happen. Women's basketball is a lot better with that. So when they, in, in the span of three days, they brought in Arkansas and Notre Dame, which is amazing in itself. But the Notre Dame game, there was a, a concern I had was, okay, yeah, it's Notre Dame. Yeah, they're three, but are people going to show up to this? Yeah, they did. It was the closest thing to a pure sellout I've ever, I've seen in the building. That wasn't like a in Dakota rivalry game. The place was nuts, and it was a great game. SDSU was in it until the very end. Uh, th- that one is that one was a lot of fun. That one was loud. Oh yeah, I remember that game. I was that was probably the only non-USD girls game that I had to show up, you know, before doors open to get the front front row spot. That was that was the one time I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make an effort, you know. I think I was I sat at Chick-fil-A waiting for to see a couple people walk up the steps and I saw, you know, two people walk up. I'm like, okay, well I'm going to get in line. Mm-hmm. By the time I got from Chick-fil-A over to the doors, it was like six people in front of me. I'm like crap. But uh yeah. But no, uh, Co- Cody can attest to this. Uh, my last year, that was my last year there. I was working overnights at the gas station, so I was constantly tired. And this was a Saturday afternoon game. I had woken up 30 minutes before tip-off. I'm dead tired. But as soon as I got into that arena, like, oh, okay, I'm up now. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was definitely a fun one. Um, I was just trying to think of other big or US, or you know, fan games. And were you there for the game where SDSU got down 20 to 0? to USD to start the game. Is that your, is that your last year uh, I, I was there, but I was at home <laughs> because Ian Tyson gave me a concussion. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of those games where Frost was like dead quiet and then just absolutely erupted, you know, after one basket. It was like 20 to two and the place went wild just because we finally made a, a basket. That 
<laughs> at some point in the first half there. Not, yeah, I was in the arena ready to go. This was like half an hour before tip off, and Ian throws up a ridiculous shot, airballs it, hits me directly in the head, and I got sent home by our athletic trainers. Like, yeah, you're, uh, you got to go. So I didn't even watch the game. I couldn't. So I had to hear about it afterwards. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, pretty Goose, good. that you led the team in concussions that year. So, <laughs> well, it was at least two that year, <laughs> and two the year before. Was that the year before? Yeah, two the year before. So yeah, I was uh, unlucky. We'll say. <laughs> well, <laughs> when I get one more playing cat dog, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so maybe going into cat dog here. So this is an inside the the manager. Um, way uh, I guess Mm -hmm. at SDSU so before practices a lot if there was time when the team was watching film and we had things set up we would play a version of horse uh, or pig but we played cat dog Uh, not sure exactly where that came from but um, I I made it up one day and we just stuck with it who would you say out of the managers you played cat dog with who would you not want to face right now oh right now that's hard because we got Jacob Johnson, who's now girls basketball coach at my old high school in Wyndham. And Austin Miller never had a great shot, but he's uh, coaching up basketball kids now. You were always tough, Cody, but oh, I got it. Kaysen. Kaysen had a knack for just catching fire and you couldn't do anything. I, was, I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> I was roommates with Kaysen for a, a couple of years, so we played basketball all the time and definitely know what you're talking about. <laughs> just didn't matter. He could just catch fire and you couldn't stop it. No, yep. Yeah, I completely <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about there. Um, just kind of, you know, we're getting kind of close to the end here, but just wanted to, uh, you know, kind of look at the current team and past teams that you were kind of involved in. Um, kind of going back to that cardiac jacks team that had you know George Marshall, uh, DeAndre Parks, um, probably one of the better guard duos that have been around SDSU. Mm-hmm. You know, Nate obviously Nate being like the best guard, um, and then those two, but then you know, you have you know Arians who's a guard, um, and then Baylor and Noah Friedel. Um, where do you kind of rank this current SDSU duo or trio with? George and uh, DeAndre, and then like with Nate and other guards out there with Nate. Um, how do you kind of compare um, this current team to those teams? Oh, uh, I'm a homer for my teams, obviously. So, you know, my guys are better than your guys. But uh, <laughs> from from what I've seen, they're, they're good. They're, very, they're steady. There's not a lot of hesitation with them that, that I might have seen last year. They're they know what they're doing and they're confident in what they're doing. I think that's just as important as the talent. Uh, Friedel, I watched him in high school when I was up in Watertown, so I, I'm pretty familiar with his game. I was a little curious on how he would fit in a D- Division One level, but he has exceeded. He's doing the things he did in high school, which is what is hard to translate to, which I think is impressive in itself. Uh, the thing with George and Dre, they could get so hot, but they also 
got kind of picky sometimes once in a while. George, especially, if you couldn't get his step back Jay going, then he would kind of just defer to other guys, which was fine because we had the talent for it. But I think, I mean, it's hard to go against Nate and Braden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But God, that's a tough question. I don't know if I'm the guy to answer that for you, to be honest with you. And then with George coming in, what was it like? I, you know, I've heard, you know, he always was on the practice squad that first year because of his transfer rules. What mm-hmm. was it like knowing like a guy like that was coming the next year? What was kind of the morale around the team with that? And um, like getting a guy like him coming transfer from transfer from Wisconsin, what was it like having him, you know, come to the program and kind of help get things going again? Well, that was weird because I was actually the first one to meet him on campus. He showed up. I want to say during Christmas break and he need, he wanted to get in the gym for a workout. And nobody else was around and I was, so I went in and let him in. I put him through a workout. He had a broken wrist at the time, so he couldn't do a ton, but he was super quiet, like he confident in the game, but super quiet guy until you got to know him. Then he just like shut up sometimes. <laughs> but uh, I love George. George knows that. Although he owes me money. I'm not going to get into that though. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of interesting. Cause that was the, that was the transition year from post need to everything else. So we, we still had a good team, but we weren't as powerful missing me and Tony, like Tony fee and like that. So knowing we had him coming in, that was, yeah. Like, Cause that was the year Jake would have been a sophomore. Yeah. Sophomore. He was supposed to be the heir apparent point guard. But his his game just didn't translate to the point guard position, so we moved him off ball. So then Braden moved to point guard that year. And I love Braden, always have. I worked with him for years, but he wasn't a point guard. He, he did well with what he needed to do, but he wasn't a point guard. So having a true point guard coming in, okay, we, we got a true point guard coming in. That's good. And obviously he paid off for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, I don't know if Jacob has any more questions. I got one last question for you. Um, obviously, you were part of a lot of really good teams. Um, going into a little bit of a hypothetical here, do you have a favorite what-if scenario from your time with the team? You know, like what if this shot goes in or what if this happens? Do you have one that you think about uh, that you would have liked to see play out? There's two. <laughs> There's two of them. One, the first one, the first NCAA tournament game against Baylor. And we were we lost by eight, but it was a couple minutes left. We're down by four. Braden had a good, nice, clean look straight away from three-point line. He hits it. We're down by one. It's a completely different game. But he missed it. Baylor scores on the other end. And you know, the rest is history. They were really, they had like six NBA players on that roster too. So I was like, it, it's always been, if that shot goes down, how does that game turn out? But Yeah, for sure. Then the other one is, when Jake Lehman decided to have his best game of his college career <laughs> against us, and that always bugged me, but he <laughs> did nothing that year until he played us, which is fine, whatever. But then the last possession of that game, where we're down, what was it, two or three? I can't remember exact scenario. Bringing the ball up, 
Mellow Trimble got George the fallout. I disagree with the fallout, but that's beyond mm-hmm. me. Uh, <laughs> then we're bringing the ball up, had a chance to tie or cut into the deficit. And again, everybody I talk about, I love them, but you know, things happen on a court. We had the ball in Keaton, Keaton Moffat's hand. He gets a stolen, I believe, by Rashid Suleiman or Mello. I can't remember which one. They go down, get the layup, and it's over. But and DeAndre had an awesome game. I think he had like 27. If we had the ball in his hands, what do we do? If he if Keaton doesn't pick up his dribble at half court, what happens? The, those are my big two. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I always hate my blood starts to boil with Arch Nemesis Brady Heslip and Jake Lehman. Those two, <sighs> I just Jake Jake freaking Lehman. I mean, good for him for doing what he's doing in the NBA. That still bugs me. <laughs> yeah, but Jake, do you have any other questions? Nope, I think we got most of them covered. All right. Well, uh, Goose, thanks for coming on. Uh, it was a good, you know, dive into some nostalgic Jacks uh, history. Um, and do you have anything else for us? Uh, the only thing would be, I don't think I've ever told this story, but I kind of knew when Nagy was on his way out. I don't know if you know this story, Cody, do you? Not that I know of. Okay. Um, I, I just thought of this when you asked me to be on, I thought like, oh yeah, this happened. Well, the day of the Maryland NCAA tournament game. We're in the hotel. We're about to get breakfast. And it's the only people in there are me, Nagy, and his dad. On TV is ESPN, and they're showing uh, a coach getting fired. Could never remember who it was, but I looked it up. Uh, and, he's, and he was saying, Nagy was saying to his dad, this is why I don't really, I can't really feel comfortable here because he's on one-year contracts every year. There's no lengthening of them i mean we're this guy had a three-year deal and he's getting fired he just won 20 games and went to his conference championship game that was when i kind of figured okay he might leave and look around for something so that was always weird but then the thing that is kind of weird is the coach that got fired i figured this out recently was the right state coach oh Okay. He, and I looked it up. The coach had won 20 games in three of the four years before he was canned, and he just never made the NCAA tournament. So I, that that's always one of those weird things. Like, as a manager, you're there for stuff that nobody else is. So you kind of had this insider thing. So for me, that was kind of the, oh, he's been here 20-some years or however long he's been here he might go and then shortly after he was gone oh yeah what a what a piece of investigative journalism (laughs) from goose that's what i'm here uh, for yeah thanks again for coming on and uh we will talk to you again soon well thanks for having me guys love the product and that was uh nathan geese uh or Goose, as we referred to there in the, the interview, uh, former basketball manager with uh, the SCSU Jackrabbits. Cody, uh, any interesting takeaways from the interview? What, what were your kind of thoughts? Uh, kind of yeah, no, there? it's good It's good to talk to Goose. I hadn't talked to him quite a while, in, in quite a while, 
Um, and he's always got tons of stories about the Summit League. He was around uh, the Jacks program for qu quite a long time. Um, and so, yeah, I think just a lot of interesting tidbits he could provide here or there. Um, and especially I know one of the interesting things I had never heard about before that he shared um, about, you know, when he th maybe thought he had a hint at Nagy heading out um, after uh, uh, I'm not sure when, what year that was, but uh, just him hinting at that. I had never heard that story before. Yeah, that would have been our soft or second year there. So probably been the 15 season uh, after the, or after the 14 season, 14, 15 going into 15, 16 was when that change I think happened. Um, no, yeah, it was definitely uh, interesting to hear him say that and, you know, how things kind of changed here in South Dakota where that used to be a thing where coaches couldn't get more than a one-year contract and now they're allowed to do the multi-year contract, which allows guys like TJ to stay for a couple of years, allows guys, uh, coaches like Coach Henderson to kind of stick around. Uh, you, don't, you don't see them running for the hills after a year and you kind of, you can draw some better names into the program that way. So that's definitely interesting. Um, I was very interested. I kind of forgot he was around uh, for so long and around so many of the teams. You know, he was there for Nate. He was there for what I think was probably one of the best STSU teams with, uh, you know, George and DeAndre and then Dom, um, that cardiac Jack season. Um, so, yeah, he was there for quite a few Jackrabbit teams. Um, just any, you know, any thoughts there? You know, he obviously thought the best guard combo there was Nate and uh, Braden. Do you have any thoughts there? I, I kind of lean towards DeAndre and George, but, you know, he was firsthand with both those. But that's kind of my, you know, my thoughts. I, I honestly, I think I might go with Goose on this one with, with Nate and Braden um, in terms of the, the guards there. I think they, you know, um, took a, a bit more of the, the leadership role and, and also just kind of directed the team a little more than, than George and Dre did. Um, but all three, you know, and then also the team now, I think they could develop into that best combo ever. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think I'm going to go with Goose with Nate and Braden still. No, oh, yeah. And, um, I think the reason I lead towards George and DeAndre is I think, um, you know, they both played off each other really well. Uh, I'm not saying Braden and Nate didn't. I think, you know, if, if you're power ranking them all, you know, you obviously have Nate one. But I guess my thoughts were then you'd probably go DeAndre two, George three, and maybe Brady, uh, Braden and Noah and Baylor. Um, maybe Braden and Noah are higher uh, than uh, there in that ranking. But that's just kind of my thought is, you know, maybe you have the one, obviously, with Nate, and Nate could take over any game. But I think DeAndre and George just played so well off each other. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of guys in the summer league that could stay in front of them consistently throughout a game. George was, you know, at times – probably one of the better pure point guards um, on the team. And then DeAndre as well, you know, when he started shooting, it was, you know, he was not going to miss. Um, but and one underrated aspect too about DeAndre that a lot of people don't realize is he, he developed into such a good defender mm -hmm. from his junior to his senior year. He was, you know, a premier uh, defender in the summit league too, on top of his offense. And so, um, that, that's something, you know, a bonus for if you're voting for those two guys. And I guess I wish I would have thought of this when we interviewed Goose. Um, but what I was – I've kind of heard a story where, you know, uh, Nagy would never recruit uh, guys that, you know, in, in high school were great defenders. He would recruit 
guys that could score on their own. Um, so in practice, he all he had to do was teach defense. You know, he could get the basic offense in play, but he knew like, hey, I have five guys on the court that are going to go score. Let me teach them how to play defense. I'll develop that side, and that's what I'm going to hone in on. Uh, Grant, you have a pretty different philosophy with his replacement and TJ <laughs> and how uh, that was kind of built up. But I, I wish that was one question. I wish I had a chance to ask you is if he, if that's something that kind of confirmed that Nagy recruited offense and, you know, knew he could teach the defense or what he's kind of, uh, that's just something, you know, a rumor I, I heard. <laughs> no, I guess, cause I was there for both two years with Nagy and then two years with TJ. Um, I don't know if their recruiting was necessarily a super different. I think they both like to find super offensive talents yeah. um, and then, you know, teach them how to play team basketball, um, you know, within their system. But I, I definitely know that TJ spent a lot more time in practice on the offensive end than Nagy did from what I can remember. No. Yeah. And I, that's, that's kind of where I was more leaning towards is that practice time was, the practice was focused on defense, maybe more with Nagy than uh, TJ kind of showed up and was mostly offense. And especially TJ's first year, we saw a lot of that with the early struggles defensively. I think we, I think SDSU kind of gave up like five team records for most three-pointers in a the game. They tried that zone, which <laughs> from <laughs> everybody, um, you know, they go into the zone and the entire frost arena would just moan like, oh, are you kidding me? It was just like, uh, but it was just like, you, you knew Nagy's defenses were going to be great. Uh, and then TJ's, especially that first year, is like, oh, I hope they play defense this game. <laughs> but um, another, I know something interesting I thought of after the interview was, is the transformation of what Baylor went from freshman to sophomore year, similar to Dom's retro freshman year to freshman year, official freshman year. Um, is there a similar transformation you think there? Um, I, I don't think it's as huge of a difference but I think you know offensively the impact Baylor has you know shown this year compared to his first year on campus is definitely kind of up there with a you know a huge change between off seasons between seasons I guess from seeing Mike's firsthand I'm gonna say it's it's not that similar you know especially because Baylor did play he didn't have a redshirt year so um, you know, from a fan perspective, people did, you know, saw him last year and then saw him this year. And he's definitely improved a lot of areas of his game and is playing, um, you know, better than he did last year. But whereas Mike came in, everyone just kind of, you know, maybe saw the high school picture of him, a little high school video, and then didn't really see the internal development within practice until his redshirt freshman year um, when he completely transformed his body, you know lost some of the, uh, you know, chubbiness that he had when he came in and then had, you know, a, a rock-solid body his, his redshirt freshman year and then mm -hmm. also just that scoring ability um, completely improve. Um, and so I'd say it, it's maybe a, a mini version, Baylor's is a, a mini version of what, of what Mike did, but I'd say Mike's is probably bigger, especially from the pan, fan perspective because they didn't see that development you know, throughout the season. No, yeah, I, yeah, I, I definitely don't think, you know, it was uh, as, you know, it was more, definitely more noticeable, Dom, just because you didn't see him, obviously. But I think the role that Baylor plays on this team is kind of where I kind of drew that comparison. Because kind of going into the season, he wasn't voted for any of the conference awards. Um, 
this year, you know, I think he's probably a favorite to get on the first team the way he's playing right now. If he carries out in the conference play, he's easily a first team player. You know, he was a great, great passer. You know, he'd maybe get five points a game. Um, but that's kind of your expectations for him. Whereas, and like you said, you know, we did see him play. So we did know there was something there. Uh, whereas Dom, we had no idea. Really, the only thing we knew about Dom was they recruited him because they saw him in the tournament like 12 for 12 for three or something like that. It was like, oh, here's a big guy that can shoot. Let's uh, get him on. So that's really all we knew about Dom coming into the program. So, um, yeah, I definitely don't think it was, you know, uh, especially since we knew what Baylor was kind of already. I mean, this season it wasn't as big of a uh, transformation, but I do think, you know, that there was a little bit of a compare comparison between the two, the way they kind of both blew up that, uh, you know, second year on campus. Yeah, for sure. Baylor's um, role continues to develop throughout the season if he can maintain where he's at, because, you know, Mike's redshirt freshman year too, his role changed from the beginning of the year where he was kind of the third, third guy to the end of the year where they were kind of playing through him. Um, and so it'll yep. be fun to see how Baylor compares to that. Yeah. That Kardiak Jacks team uh, definitely doesn't win their first round game there without him. Cause I don't like we kind of brought in the talk about in the interview, he was a sixth man. Um, and then he, uh, you know, probably played more than Ian, but Ian started kind of was able to go after the bigs for the other team, the starting bigs and Nate or then Dom kind of came in and, I got maybe when they're a little bit more tired and was just an extra guy coming off the bench that was going to score a bunch. Um, but yeah, we definitely saw his role evolve throughout the year. We got a lot more minutes towards the end of the year and cardiac jacks where he almost carried him through. The, I mean, he did carry him through the tournament. Um, he kind of that superstar showed up probably. I think that's where you first, you kind of saw like, okay, this is the next, like, you know, Nate Walters for this team, you know, Nate carried the team was like that number one option, Dom, that cardiac jacks season uh, or postseason tournament there. That's when you knew we're like, okay, this guy's the real deal. He's, you know, he's that next one. He's that next guy for SDSU. Yeah, for sure. That was kind of his coming out party, his emergence as that, that go-to guy. And uh, maybe we'll see this year in the conference tournament uh, who can take on that role. <laughs> It would, it would uh, definitely be nice if we saw more than one game this year. Um, but with uh, – were you were you one of the managers for that Cardiac Jacks team? What were the locker rooms like after um, after those games? Um, yeah, so I was a manager. I wasn't on the floor for those games because they limited – the Summit League limited how many managers you could have on the floor or how many players yeah. – or how many total people you could have on your bench. So I was front row in the in – the, student section area I guess um but yeah it was it was an exciting time for sure stressful very very (laughs) stressful but you know excited that they got to see another day in the tournament each time oh yeah that was a definitely I'd rather have those cardiac jack kind of moments where they're actually winning the games and what we've seen the last couple years where it's just like the cardiac part you know they make their big comeback run at the end of the game and then fall off for whatever reason um, but other than that, that's all we have for episode four here of the Rabbit Rundown. Thanks for listening. Uh, let us know if there's any questions or other people you'd like to see us interview you know, throughout uh, the season here. Uh, follow us on Twitter at, at Rabbit Rundown. You know, shoot us a, a DM with the questions or guests and let us know what you think. And we will see you guys all next week.